The future could be brilliant. A personal inquiry into why much of the world seems crazy and what to do about it. Part 2. Hidden Disabilities Having spent a lifetime inquiring into human nature, I was truly shocked to discover that one of the most basic and obvious facts of life had escaped me. I should start by talking briefly about someone who inadvertently opened my eyes. I won't bore you with the details, but suffice to say this person came over, it's very charming and credible, but it soon became clear that they were not all they seemed to be. Important promises and commitments they made concerning vulnerable people were frequently not kept. When challenged about it, I realised to my surprise that they showed no sign of guilt or remorse, none. As time went on, it became clear that they could lie without the slightest sign of inner conflict. When faced with a strong personal challenge, it was as if they were like one of those buildings you see sometimes in the city, where there's been a fire or a controlled demolition, and only the facade is left standing. This person seemed to have nothing behind the exterior. It was as if they were empty and just assumed a mask or presentation to match the circumstances they found themselves in. Had this person learned to cut off and dissociate from their feelings through some trauma or abuse? Were they on the autistic spectrum? Were they suffering from depression? Were they in fact enlightened in some way and not burdened by emotions like the rest of us? The usual list of possibilities failed to find a credible answer. I continued searching and kept coming back to an explanation that I found hard to believe, but which became increasingly hard to ignore. And a bit like Alice stepping through the looking glass, what I discovered opened up a whole new world that had previously been invisible to me. Like others before me, I had stumbled upon a crucial missing piece of the jigsaw of human understanding and a revelation. Every angle I pursued kept leading back to a range of behavioural characteristics best described as sociopathic. It covered a spectrum of antisocial personality disorders, from narcissism to psychopathy. Now, my idea of a psychopath was of someone who, if you're really unlucky, you might meet on a lonely road in a dark night and who could murder and mutilate you for no comprehensible reason whatsoever. But given that there were so few of them, it was not something that occupied my thoughts to any degree. Yet, here was a person in a fairly ordinary situation who showed no signs of violence, but who fitted enough of the description to make me very curious indeed. And the more I researched, the more fascinated and intrigued I became. I learned that psychopaths were like the rest of us in the sense that they're all different. Some are violent, as I had imagined, but many are not, and they can be found in all walks of life. I also learned that there are an awful lot more of them than I had ever imagined. From what I can gather, around 1% of the population are classed as psychopathic, due predominantly to biology and genetics. Another 3% or so share similar characteristics we would describe as sociopathic, due to a mix of genetic, social 
and environmental causes. In other words, around 4%, that is, one in every 25 people, can be described as being on a sociopathic spectrum or having strong sociopathic traits. The terms psychopath and sociopath have been used interchangeably at times. We've come to associate the term psychopath particularly with serial killers, which can result in us missing the broader understanding that people with psychopathic tendencies come in many guises. I lean towards using the more inclusive term sociopath to encompass the whole spectrum of individuals who share these antisocial behavioural characteristics to one degree or another. In the UK, with a population in excess of 60 million people, there are presumably anything from half a million to two and a half million individuals who have this hidden disability. The spectrum of individuals encompassed are referred to as having personality disorders because they're fixed traits rather than mental illnesses or disturbances that can be helped by treatment. Scanning the brains of people with personality disorders has shown marked differences in their brain structure, with the whole paralimbic emotional response system highly compromised. Emotional responses that seem normal to you and me may be completely out with the sociopath's experience, and it's this that seems so important to understand. Although they are all unique individuals and exhibit a range of behaviours, they share common factors, the most important being a lack of conscience and a lack of empathy. Now, let me just hold you at this point, if I may. I was not aware that some people were without a conscience. I understood that people sometimes acted as if they had no conscience and some were seemingly able to ignore their conscience easier than others. However, the crucial fact that I was faced with was that some people did not have one at all. The fact that some people did not have a conscience went against all my conditioning. I'd been brought up to believe that everyone was essentially similar that even the worst were redeemable, that circumstances may have led them astray, and if you understood the reasons, then most anything they had done was explicable. Between the forgiveness preached by the church and the powerful influence of upbringing preached by everyone from Freud to the behaviourists, it never occurred to me that someone might live in such a different universe to the one I inhabited. Please don't worry if you find this hard to accept. It is. For some reason, it goes against a basic and intrinsic view of others that most of us have. The human capacity for empathy links us to others and is essential to shared effort to survive. Having empathy, compassion and a conscience are inextricably linked. Without this, there would probably be no human race. Having empathy, the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and to care, and feeling bad if you hurt or harm someone else, is so fundamental to our makeup that it seems counterintuitive to imagine that others may not have it. It goes against the grain of empathic individuals to think that others may not actually have the capacity to care. For some, it offends them deeply when you suggest it. To accept that some are born so differently, or become so different, 
goes so against the grain that it can be easier to just dismiss it out of hand rather than try to really understand. To make it clear what this is like and why it's so important to understand, let me quote you the opening excerpt of the book The Sociopath Next Door by the American psychiatrist Martha Stout. Imagine, if you can, not having a conscience, none at all, no feelings of guilt or remorse, no matter what you do, no limiting sense of concern for the well-being of strangers, friends, or even family members. Imagine no struggles with shame, not a single one in your whole life, no matter what kind of selfish, lazy, harmful or immoral action you had taken and pretend that the concept of responsibility is unknown to you, except as a burden others seem to accept without question, like gullible fools. Now add to this strange fantasy the ability to conceal from other people that your psychological makeup is radically different from theirs. Since everyone simply assumes that conscience is universal amongst human beings, hiding the fact that you are conscience-free is nearly effortless. You are not held back from any of your desires by guilt or shame and you are never confronted by others for your cold-bloodedness. The ice water in your veins is so bizarre, so completely outside of their personal experience that they seldom even guess at your condition. In other words, you are completely free of internal restraints and your unhampered liberty to do just as you please with no pangs of conscience is conveniently invisible to the world. You can do anything at all and still your strange advantage over the majority of people who are kept in line by their consciences will most likely remain undiscovered. Consider once again the phrase since everyone assumes that conscience is universal amongst human beings. That's what I had assumed. I'd never questioned it. Never doubted it, never imagined that it could be any other way. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights states, All human human beings are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. Well, what if they are not all endowed with a conscience? Might that not start to explain why some don't act towards others in a spirit of brotherhood or sisterhood. Might that not go some way to explain why we need a declaration of human rights in the first place? It's quite possible that you may already be aware of all this and have come across one of the books, articles or web links on the subject which are increasing every year. From Robert D. Hare's Without Conscience to Ron Johnson's The Psychopath Test, the penny is starting to drop. People are beginning to wake up to a fact of life that sheds a completely new light in the world and radically alters our understanding of why it is the way it is. One of the first things you would imagine that was useful was finding out how to spot someone on the sociopathic spectrum. To do so, it's important to make a crucial distinction. To say specifically that someone is a psychopath or sociopath is really the realm of the expert, the psychiatrist, psychologist or other professional. We can speculate, and once you become aware of this syndrome, it's hard not to. But it's not necessary to do so, 
as we can do something much more useful than that. We can start to spot sociopathic tendencies as they show up in culture instead. So how do you know that a culture has been undermined and influenced this way? How do you know what a sociopathic distortion in culture looks like? You may recall I started off by talking about the first-class people, some of whom I discovered own large estates in the Highlands. You may also recall that I was taken aback when I realised that some killed animals for fun. As a youngster, I was delighted after numerous attempts to have shot a spug or sparrow in the hedge at the bottom of our garden with my brother's air rifle. My delight quickly turned to guilt and concern when I realised it was just wounded and seriously struggling. I can still picture it clearly after all these years. Instinctively, I had recognised that killing was not something to do casually and thoughtlessly. I empathise with many traditional cultures who have very strong ethics about how they treat the animals and creatures they depend on for survival. Killing for fun was something entirely different. I once met a man who had just returned from a holiday in Spain and was boasting about how many birds he had shot. Hundreds and hundreds of wee birds. Here was someone clearly different from me. When I discovered that there were people in the world who lacked the capacity to care, this strange behaviour suddenly made sense. It didn't mean that everyone who engaged in it was sociopathic, but it seemed probable that so-called blood sports were an expression of a sociopathically influenced culture. A distorted culture that reflects the existence of those who lack the instinctive respect and concern for other creatures that I encountered as a child. Once I included in my view of the world the knowledge that there were people with this hidden disability, I started to see evidence of this distortion in all aspects of human culture. From my childhood struggle of trying to understand a crazy world, to a difficult relationship with someone without guilt or shame, things were starting to make sense. So how far, I wondered, did the distortion actually go? next episode, the remarkable truth about human nature.